We have the author of More Than a Score, Pat Combs, here with Steve Carsey, Jonathan. Before we get to the book, you're not getting off that easy, Pat, because we're still walking down memory lane. This is the chosen journey. So uh, Baylor University, before jumping into the pros, uh, how did you go about selecting your uh, college university? I mean, Steve was talking about uh, you was planning to go to LSU. Everybody has their different ways. Was it a geography thing? Uh, why did you pick your particular place to study? Yeah, it, you know, it didn't do it very well. I went to Rice University first. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, it took me a couple of schools to figure it out. But um, yeah, and, and back then, uh, there was not the, the transfer portal. So you couldn't bounce from school to school back then. You, you know, you basically got there and stayed. But yeah, I went to Rice my first year. And then the pitching coach was let go. And there was just a, a mess of a, of a staff there at Rice. So I ended up choosing Baylor. And, uh, you know, it was recruited by a number of different schools. I visited uh, Miami, uh, UCLA. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, um, Texas A&M. I had a lot of different choices, but um, yeah, you know, the second go around, I think it, it it just made sense for me to go to a place where I felt like I could get great coaching. There was a pitching coach at Baylor named Sid Hudson. Uh, Sid was a well-known uh, pitching coach for the Washington Senators for, for many years and became a scout and ended up scouting for the Texas Rangers when they moved to Texas. So um, a lot of scouts that I talked to at the time said, hey, if you could work with Sid, he'll who really help you out. So a lot of it had to do with, with Sid and then the coaching staff at Baylor. And uh, it was just a good fit for me. You know, and I, I tell players today, Jonathan, you know, really look at, at the school as a fit and look at the team as a fit because uh, there's just some cultures that you're not going to be a good fit with. And I found that to be true at Rice, where at Baylor, it was perfect for me. And, um, and that's where I really excelled and uh, had a great, uh, great time there. And not only as a, as an athlete, but as a student, you know, I, I love, kind of a smaller school environment and getting to know professors and, and taking the classes I wanted to take so that that all played a, a, an important part for me. Yeah. I think that's the smart thing to do, right. Is uh, find the right fit for you, find where you're going to play, find the best coaching that's going to be able to help you improve your game and get to that and not pick a school just because maybe it's, you know, a big name school and that's where I want to go. And, you know, obviously you know, talking to kids who are in high school now and uh, making that choice is like, where make sure you go a place where you're going to play and you're going to get better. There's no reason to go to a school and try to sit on the bench, right, and try to improve your game. I mean, um, you know, like you said, it, it, there's a fit for everybody. And in today's world with social media, with all of the showcases and everything like that, if you can play the game, you're going to be found. It's not like it was 30 years ago where scouts were always combing different, you know, areas and trying to find that diamond in the rough that nobody else could see. Uh, it's yeah. it's all put out there today where, you know, you pretty much know, you know, the best hundred players in the country just because of social media and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen, I, I think it's a great point. I, I would add to that that, you know, my, my two sons uh, could have gone to, to a Division One school and been preferred walk-ons, you know. So um, they they had invitations to do that. And I just said, guys, look, um, you can do that. But in today's game, it, what it really translates to is that you're going to probably sit for a year or two trying to earn a spot. Um, so what I told my sons was, was go to a place where uh, you can play and you can play right away or at least have a chance to play. And they mm -hmm. both, uh, my, my two sons that played baseball both went, to a Division three school, uh, East Texas Baptist, they both walked on the field from day one, never came off the field, 
had tremendous college careers and really enjoyed the experience. And then my youngest son gets drafted out of a D3. So uh, as Steve knows, you know, that that's the, the, the scouts will still find you, whether you're a D1 or a D3 or NAI school, it doesn't matter. They're going to find you if you're good enough to play. And uh, when I tell my, my kids that I coach, I said, go to a place where you're going to get a chance to play and you're going to get a chance to compete. Nobody loves to sit the bench. You know, you're out there working hard every day, just like every other player. You don't get your chance for a year or two. There's a good chance you're going to lose interest in the game. And uh, or if you can't transfer out and find somewhere else to play. But uh, I think that's great advice is to, you know, really find a great school. that's a good fit where you have a chance to compete. Well, let's continue walking down memory lane because of making it through Baylor and that magical 88 season. And you show up in 1989. Now, I've heard of a term, the golden sombrero. That's when you got the uh, four strikeouts in one game, right? Well, you achieved a pitching different golden. It was called the golden season. Steve, have you heard of this golden season? Uh, never heard of a golden season. I mean, I know there's, you know, the stats, the top three stats for, for pitchers if you lead the league in those three categories. I didn't, if that's what you're talking about, I didn't know it was called the, the golden no. It's called the golden okay. season because Pat created oh. Pat is one of the very few to ever achieve this. Are you ready for this one? I am single A, double A, triple uh, A, the majors all in, all one, in one season, one golden season. <laughs> Pat, if I was you at this point, finishing off in 88 and then the golden season, I feel like I'm walking on a cloud at this point. That must have been <laughs> the best year of your life. It was a great year. Yeah. And, and, you know, Andrew Jones was the other player to do that our first professional year. So yeah, a lot of it has to do obviously with getting drafted by the right team who has that particular need, you know, and, and I rose through the ranks, you know, with, with the Phillies and obviously had a great season. I pitched well enough to, to earn uh, the spot there in September. And, uh, you know, the, the funny part of that story was uh, George Culver was our, our roving pitching instructor for, for double A AA and triple A. And uh, he came to, uh, to a game in, in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, where I was playing double A. And uh, he said, hey, we're going to promote you to triple A and just see how you finish out the last month of the season in, in minor league ball. And that'll just give us an idea of where to start you for the 89 season. And I said, okay, well, what if I pitch well enough at triple A? Am I going to get a call up this year? He said, well, no, that's that's not even in the on the radar with, with the major league club. They just want to see how, you, how you're going to translate to from double A to triple A. So I go to AAA, I throw uh, a one-hit shutout, a three-hit shutout. In the next game, uh, the, the general manager for the, Lee, for the Phillies, Lee Thomas, comes to scranton Wilkesbury, where I was playing, and uh, meets me in the clubhouse after the game. And so I threw another pretty good game in, in Scranton and uh, called me into the coach's office. I didn't know he was there watching the game. And uh, he said, well, I guess you're forcing my hand. And I said, uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> he said, yeah. He goes, well, the Philadelphia – sports writers are beating the crap out of me for not calling you up. So I'm going to call you up in September. And I'm like, going, Oh, great. So that's how you tell me. <laughs> right. So, but uh, I guess it was a, a force of his hand or the Phillies that definitely had some needs at that time, back in the, in the late eighties, you know, they, they had traded away a lot of their minor league talent when they were making that run in the mid eighties, uh, mm. you know, towards the, the world series. So uh, it was just kind of a replenishment of the minor leagues. I got drafted by the right team at the right time. And, so, Jonathan, I chalked that up to, you know, a lot of it is uh, is God's plan, fate, you know, that I was in the right spot. Um, you know, I did happen to have a great season there in 89, and, uh, and it got the call up in September. And we're going to walk through right now. <clears throat> that 89 team was a whopping 67-95. Uh, Nick Leva, the coach, you know, he's been around for many, many years. 
And I got to say, there's there's times, I don't know if you both experienced this, but you're working with people or you, you're you in uh, association with others, whether it's uh, in, in, in a sports team or uh, extended friends that you're hanging out with, you're saying, they're all very interesting, but I'm so I feel so different. Is it me or is it them? And I gotta say, you got cast with a bunch of characters here. So I'm gonna kind of walk through a few of the highlights here and just love to hear some of your initial reactions when you hear these names. Uh number one, Darren Dalton. Yeah, uh leader, um, uh, bulldog, uh, you know, I, I think a great balance of of leadership you know, with, within the, the clubhouse and how he led on the field as well. Uh, but yeah, a great finish to his career. Yeah. He was kind of a mediocre catcher for a long time and then became a lot better later on. There's quite a few of the Phillies did later on in the, mm-hmm. the mid nineties. Uh, and the kid, this player was the top paid player at the time on the team, by the way, you were making a, according to uh, the internet, you were making a whopping $68,000. So we're talking about inflation those days. The future Hall of Famer was making $2.25 million. He was at the top of the food chain, the one and only Mike Schmidt. Yeah, uh, Schmidt, I, I had one spring uh, season with him, and uh, obviously just an icon, right? I mean, when you walk into that Philly clubhouse, he was the man. And, um, yeah, just, again, a, a great leader, you know, uh, very, uh, very well-regarded player in, in every phase of the game. and so. Uh, uh, you know, just having just conversations with him during the spring uh, was was very enlightening, and and he had a lot to do with with um, you know my my faith at that time. You know, and and when Mike Schmidt invited me to to attend a baseball chapel service, and you know I was at Baylor it was a Baptist school, but I really never you know took part of uh, <laughs> I see point of the book there. Yeah, I never took really much part in in uh, things of faith, but when I got to, to the major leagues, you know, you, you kind of put that big league uniform on and you, you feel like you've accomplished your goal. And, and so you kind of start to, you know, ask yourself, hey, what's next? You know, what do I what do I want to do next? And and uh, Mike Schmidt making that invitation to attend chapel just really set my life on a whole different course, you know, from a face standpoint. So uh, very, very thankful to him. You ready for a couple of good laughs, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Lenny Dykstra? <laughs> Oh, the dude. Oh, my gosh. Uh, there's not enough time to talk about that guy. <laughs> this is yeah, a family show, say, by the way, so we do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, as interesting of a, of a character that, that Lenny is, um, I, I, I can't think of another player who had more passion to win uh, than Lenny Dykstra, and he would do anything it took uh, to win, and uh, probably just need to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you watch that 1986 show, right? And that's really all you need to know when when they put that four part series out with the New York Mets. He was voted yeah. most likely to appear on the National Enquirer. I don't know if you heard of this guy, John Cruck. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He he is every bit of the comedian as, as as you see on TV. I mean, he behind the scenes. I mean, he would just you know keep your belly laughing and you know make make the game light he was that guy in the clubhouse that every team needs right it just at just the right moment crook would say something and it would just kind of calm everybody down and and uh but you know internally a super intense player and what a lot of folks may not know i mean john crook did not look like the super athlete that he is but that guy was an all-state basketball player you know played multiple sports he was uh, west virginia athlete of the year i mean this guy was a stud when you know coming up 
yeah, his body didn't look like it, but man, that guy would, would compete. And, uh, you know, he was great. I remember the first time I, I played him in horse and basketball and just absolutely smoked me. I'm like, how did that happen? Like, you look like a, a jelly bean. How do I get beat by that guy? Right. And it's like, you know, he just starts laughing. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, but, uh, love Crucky, man. He's, he was uh, a, a fun guy to be with for sure. Let's get to some of your uh, fellow pitchers. Uh, another, please get him out of New York as soon as possible. Mr. Roger McDowell of uh, Seinfeld fame. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, big Mac. He was, uh, again, you, you know, a great, great relief pitcher. Um, you know, sometimes you'd have to ask yourself with his stuff, how does he get guys out? You know, but he did. Um, and that, that sinker ball, Steve, it was unbelievable. I mean, almost so unbelievable at times you had to think there was something uh, that was added to the ball. I, I don't know how he did it, but it was, it was, uh, he was good. <laughs> Steve Bedrosian. Bedrock. Oh, man. Yeah. Didn't get a oh. chance to play them a long time, but yeah, again, one of those most respectful respected players in the league, you know, just the way he carried himself, uh, the way he led, um, obviously great stuff, you know, great competitor, uh, had, a, had a, even a, I think a better uh, career post Phillies when he was with the Giants. And um, yeah, just a, a great competitor. The next name I had to take a double take because I said, this can't be the same guy. I can't be that age. Cause uh, watching this year's Rangers, I said to him, I'd be telling Steve, I said, these guys, I think are going to the world series, but uh, they're taking every pitcher and making him into Cy Young. How was this possible? I looked up who their pitching coach is, and you played with him, Mr. Mike Maddox. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Mike was one of those players that, uh, you know, again, kind of smoke and mirrors his way to the big leagues and didn't have great stuff, but man, he knew how to pitch. And he was one of those guys that got the most out of, out of, uh, you know, his gifts and talents, I, I believe. And, and um, yeah, you just kind of knew he was going to hang around the game and be really good at whatever he decided to do. And yeah, it's, it's so good to see him back here with the Rangers. You know, he's with them once before when they made those world series runs mm -hmm. and uh, he's back here again, but uh, that guy is, is really, really good. Not only technically at, at coaching, you know, cause Steve and I can tell you, there's a lot of great coaches who are very technical with the game and can teach you uh, different pieces of the game that'll help you but it's the way he builds those relationships as well. And, uh, you know, to me, that's, that's a coach that understands both sides of the equation, you know, because coaching is obviously about, you know, dealing with people and uh, Mike develops a great relationship. He respects that part of the game, but very technically good at what he does. If I can go in the movie back to the future and go see you, Pat Combs in 1989, I would tell you, Stick to Mike Maddox, go with him to the bathroom, go with him to the buffet, do whatever you got to do, pick up whatever you can from this guy. I don't know what it is, but everybody touches, he turns to gold. And uh, it's hard to remember that this, this man had a playing career. He's been coaching forever and ever, but sure enough, he was playing back in the day. And, uh, and a couple other teams I was just curious about because you were the, with the Phillies uh, for a number of years. Uh, did you get to speak to Dale Murphy at all? Uh, I saw they were for a couple, he was there for a couple seasons. Yeah, I played with Dale for about a season and a half. And, uh, yeah, one of the, you know, gosh, I mean, you think of Dale Murphy, you just think of the word gentleman, you know, one of the best gentlemen of the game. Um, you know, he was a, he was like a statesman, right? I mean, he, I think the guy could have been, been president. Uh, the way he carried himself, uh, the way he handled his family, you know, very, very respectable guy in, 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 in all phases of life, you know, just a guy that handles himself really well. But, um, yeah, we had him at the tail end of his career. Of course, the Phillies picked him up from the Braves. He was trying to hang on to get to that magic 500 home run mark. And, and um, you know, it's it was just a pleasure to play with him. And the way he brought uh, kind of a professional presence to the clubhouse, 
is what the Phillies needed at that time. You know, we had a bunch of, as you referred to, just some wild and crazy characters, and, and he just brought that professionalism that we needed. If major, I because I, I growing up in that era, I gotta say, if baseball was filled with Dale Murphys and Andre Dawson's, you'd be good to go. Like two guys that really stuck out to be as real gentlemen of the game. Uh, two yeah. gentlemen that not otherwise as much, but interesting characters nonetheless. Mitch Williams stuck in there. Oh yeah. <laughs> did you get yeah, the room? Did thing. you get the room with him at all? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nobody room with Mitch. No, he he was on his own there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No. Uh, yeah, and you know, it, it, again, we we had him after kind of the the peak of his career with the Cubs, and Phillies picks him up for the the playoff run, and uh, you know, again, a guy that just just wanted to compete and do well every time out, even when his stuff wasn't as good, you could always just count on Mitch saying, "Hey, I want I want the ball," you know, and and um, yeah, we had a, a you know a pretty great run there at the end of that '93 season, and I think there were probably it was it was a difficult decision for Jim Fergosi at the time. You know, when when you considered Mitch was the closer, but we had uh, we had a couple of young guys that came up that were really pitching well. And one of them is is a guy, Steve, you might recognize Ricky Metallico. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Metallico went on this crazy run where he didn't give up a run like in his first 19 innings Mm -hmm. with us and was just lights out. I mean, nasty slider, great, you know, good fastball, just, you know, competed well with it and with his stuff and. And uh, there were there were a couple of times where I thought, man, he just needs to leave Metallica in to finish this game. You know, the Mitch would come in and, and invariably get in trouble. And sometimes he worked himself out. Sometimes he wouldn't. But uh, that ended up costing us in that that World Series game against the, the Blue Jays. You know, Mitch was just out of gas, just didn't have this good stuff. And and I thought, man, Metallica would have finished that game. I remember watching that game. I was eating Cantonese chow mein. We were having Chinese takeout. I was watching it in the kitchen. My mom says to me, how is this Joel Carter? And I said to her, nah, he's going to strike out. Mitch Williams is going to get him. So I don't know. This is, you know, Toronto right now, by the way, they're all in uproar about the uh, playoff series and pulling their uh, pitcher, uh, Barrios, a little uh, early in the game. And everybody's uh, up in arms. But you don't win games if you don't score runs, folks. But uh, I would say in that game, you brought your closer in and uh, you did what you could, you know. And I, I, I didn't fault him for it at the time. Watching that 93 team, uh, what, what did you find it difficult, uh, be, you know, based on your injuries at the time or how did you feel? How was your feelings in that moment sitting and watching that 93 season? Yeah, it was tough, man. I wanted to be there. You know, it's, uh, you know, you get injured as a player. I mean, the, the thing you want to do is get back as quick as you can. And, uh, just, you know, had to go through another surgery and was, was going to miss that, that whole playoff run. But yeah, you, you kind of live your life as a player, you know, to get to those points in your career where you can uh, be a part of a playoff team and, and have a chance to play in a world series and uh, it just didn't happen for me, but, but yeah, it, you know, it, it's always, uh, it's always fun reflecting back on those times because obviously, you, you know, the players, you know, you know, what uh, is, is, you know, usually going through their minds at that moment. And yeah, that was a Phillies team where, you know, uh, if you, if you look again on paper, it was probably a team that shouldn't have been to that point. You know, the Atlanta Braves kind of in the, in the start of their dynasty there in the early nineties, uh, they had a tremendous lineup. You know, there were there were some other teams there, the Giants and some other teams. You know, I just felt like there's no way we're going to get past some of these teams, and and we ended up, you know, winning a couple of key series to get there. And then it looked like after Game Five, the Phillies were gonna were gonna have a shot to win it. You know, they came back in the middle of that series and put together a couple of great games. And then Joe Carter hit the that was the death blow. You know, the big the big walk off home run. I think it's still the only walk off home run in a in a World Series uh, 
to end a series, mm-hmm. right? I think, I that's, think you're that's correct. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about being in the right place at the right time, right? Whether it's injured or whatnot, because, uh, you know, you bring it up that series in 1993, uh, you know, I was pitching in double A at the time for the Toronto Blue Jays. I, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, and, um, you know, you always think of things, right? I'm like, man, big league teams going possibly to the playoffs. And I got a chance if I pitch really well to, to maybe be there. Whole be old deadline comes and I get traded to Oakland A's in 1993 for Ricky Henderson. So, uh, you know, it wasn't the right place and right time for me. It, it was a blessing in disguise. Uh, you know, I got traded over to the uh, Oakland A's, went to their double A team, made two starts, and then uh, they called me up to the big leagues and that's where my big league career started. So uh, if I was in Toronto, maybe I would have never even been in the big leagues in 1993 and who knows what would have happened. But uh, at the end of the day, just like you're saying, whether it's an injury or, you know, a trade or whatever it might be, uh, you know, there's always a plan and, and sometimes it works out in your benefit and, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Did they, did they mail you World Series ring for having got them Ricky? <laughs> I didn't get I didn't get anything. I was I was watching at home on the TV and, uh, you know, really uh, rooting for some of the guys that uh, were in the big leagues that I knew and that I played with and uh, was just really happy for them. It would have been pretty cool back in 93 to sit the three of us and chat at the time and see where it was at. Uh, but we all, you know, maturely find our journeys and uh, life progresses. 